Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz Caspo. Uh, well, guys, um, you know, Scuzz, are you thawed out from your uh, trip up north? Uh, I suppose so. It was quite cold. I really can't complain, though, because it was the exact same temp as in Cincinnati. <laughs> fair, fair point. Um, so, yeah, Northwestern football loses to Minnesota. Uh, this is not, you know, big news. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But because first off, we got to shout out uh, field hockey and cross country. Um, both of them getting to the uh, field hockey, taking on uh Maryland this weekend on Friday uh, in Stores, Connecticut. They, um, yeah, winning a couple, their opening round games in shootout fashion. Really, really great. And then cross country made the uh, NCAA finals as well. Uh, so, you know, really, really awesome for them. That's that's just fantastic. But um, I, let's, let's talk a little field hockey, guys. I mean, Cats are now in a position to uh, potentially go back to back. It is. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, they're doing it with defense and doing it with Annabelle Skubish's goaltending. Um, it's it's amazing. It's funny because, I mean, they're staring at this Titanic rematch 2 p.m. on ESPN Plus um, with this same Maryland team that they beat 2-1 to one in the semis of the Big Ten Championship. And then they won each of their last two games two to one also. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's because if you win the shootout, the shootout registers as an additional goal. But it's, it is tight margins to say the least and made for two absolutely um, exciting and by alternate turns terrifying uh, uh, games in the, the first two rounds of the NCAAs, Miami of Ohio and, and Iowa. Um, we were thinking about friend of the pod, Noah Kaufman, who called the hell out of both of these games and just absolute white knuckle affair the first one goes shootout three two second one goes shootout four three um and in both cases scoobish is the decider um with um you know keeping the the ball out in the second game and then the first one um actually calling, you know, effectively calling for a referral, calling for a challenge on a goal that was scored and getting it overturned. So it was her running into a mob of her teammates two games in a row. It's it's what you want. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, worth noting, Northwestern lost in the regular season to Maryland 1-2 to two in OT. So these teams have been neck and neck all year. Um, on the other side of the bracket, you've got Penn State and North Carolina. So uh, three Big Ten teams make the final four here. North Carolina just pummeling everyone they played. I mean, they scored five goals against St. Joe's, five goals against Delaware in their two uh, their two games leading up. So, yeah, this is a really exciting weekend for field hockey. You know, champs, just you, you want an opportunity to repeat, and they've got an opportunity to repeat. Um, to win a national title always takes a little bit of good fortune and just, you know, good timing and such, so... Uh, we'll see if that's what the Cats this weekend as they go through Maryland and then uh, possibly North Carolina or Penn State. It's wild, too. I mean, obviously, right, going for a national title. But this is back-to-back NCAA Final Fours, and that's a big deal. I mean, then you're starting to ve- venture into kind of dynasty com- uh, company with this field hockey team. And, you know, 
some of the players on this team, like this is really, this is going to be a legacy that's going to go down for a long time and putting a mark on the program. And it's going to have a huge impact on this program overall going forward. So just phenomenal work. And then of course, uh, cross country, making it to the NCAA championships for the first time in 20 years. Um, you know, cats will be running down in Stillwater uh, this weekend. Yeah. Especially for a team that like, I think we talked earlier in the season, right. That they were ranked there. Um, they're, they're one of the only cross country teams or, or programs that doesn't have a, a um, parallel track team, uh, which is obviously a big attraction for athletes, uh, an opportunity to cross train other times of the year, et cetera. So, um, and then I, you know, I don't, I don't know how full on Northwestern's program is relative to some of the other, uh, some of the others that have made the field in terms of, you know, scholarship support and and uh, all that jazz but um this is exciting for a program that that um has you know been been doing it on their own not not a ton of uh financial support um or you know um just, you know it's not a big boy sport at northwestern right like it's it's, it's not like we're, we're oregon hosting the uh the u.s national um Olympic qualifiers every uh, every couple of years or anything like that. So uh, this is really really exciting and, and a great a great achievement for this program. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to highlight. I mean, speaking so <clears throat> basically at regionals, the Cats had finisher finished eighth, thirteenth, fifteenth, and as a team, second at regionals, and that's how they punched their ticket. Um, just an an amazing overall job. It's a, it speaks to the depth of the team. That's how the Cats are getting it done. Um, Ari Marks is one who's kind of interesting to me just because I, I followed her earlier in the season just because it was interesting to me. She transferred from Wellesley, um, the all-girls school in Massachusetts, and was, I think, for four years an absolutely dominant cross-country runner for them. And then grad transferred to Northwestern, um, which is one of those things that's we've talked about this before in sports too when, when guys have transferred like um, – a guy like Ryan Johnson transferring, grad transferring from Stanford to Northwestern. He's going to pick up Northwestern and Stanford degrees coming out of this, which is fantastic work for any student, right? Wellesley and Northwest, Northwestern is a fantastic combination too. Um, but it's, it's just a cool, it's a cool transfer story. It's a kind of transfer you don't hear about very often. And she's been a dominant runner for Northwestern and, and is helping power uh, an incredibly deep team. So it's really cool. A uh, really cool story and good luck to them at NCAAs. So, uh, well, hold up before we, before we go there, yeah. there's one other we got to talk about. That's women's soccer. Oh, for sure. Uh, they beat S I E U or S I U E, uh, three to nothing in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. They go on to face Vanderbilt who upset Clemson. Uh, this is Friday night at 6 PM central. Um, I believe it's at Northwestern again. Um, Worth noting that Emma Phillips, um, the standout uh, captain and, and defensive uh, stalwart for Northwestern, did not play against SIUE. I still cannot figure out if she's uh, potential. There's a potential that she might play against Vander- Vanderbilt. Um, if you if you heard us talk about women's soccer on our last pod, um, I again I can't quite tell from the recap in the box, but I think I think Northwestern went back to their three six one or their or a modified version of it instead of playing four defensive uh defensive players um like they did after after Phillips was injured in the Big Ten tournament. So uh it seems like with with the time they've had to to kind of um 
bring some others into that formation, which is a, a competitive advantage for them uh, for sure. So really interesting matchup against Vanderbilt, and uh, we will we'll see how far the squad can uh, can run this year. All right, so uh, should we get to the football of it all? Sure. Um, you know, thirty-one to three. It was just you know, Mo Ibrahim did whatever he wanted. Thirty-six carries, one hundred and seventy-eight yards, three touchdowns. Um, injuries. You know, I like I, especially a quarterback like Brendan Sullivan. Don't know what you know what his status is. It looked like. Um, just on TV, it looked like he might have hurt his shoulder or something like that. And then obviously Ryan Holinsky just getting rolled up like that. And that looked bad, um, you know, getting carted off. And then going to Carl Richardson and Cole Freeman just to see what the, the kids can do in the blowout situation. But uh, haven't heard any updates on either Sullivan or Holinsky. But, you know, I Holinsky, I would not be surprised if he's done for the year. We, we got to back up a little bit. Sure. Um, because, yeah, Mo Ibrahim did whatever he wanted in this game. I just couldn't help noticing and complaining to literally everyone around me in the stadium that it appeared against a Minnesota team playing a true freshman QB in his very first start, who also clearly couldn't hit the broadside of a barn throwing the ball, it seemed like we were playing a nickel package against that offensive line and Muhammad yeah. Ibrahim on almost every play. Yeah. Can someone explain to me what was going on? Well, I know. So I'm kind of, I, so here's, here's kind of my thinking on this. So sorry to just jump right no, in. No, <laughs> no, 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 it's, please. it's a good point. And it's, it's good to start with the defense because there's also some kind of pirate booty to be handed out here. And, Here's here's the counter I would say to that, Scuzz. It, I wouldn't necessarily call it a counter. It's just, it's really easy to argue that Rod Hurd, Devin Turner, and Jeremiah Lewis were our best defensive players in this game <laughs> by a fair amount. And the only way to get those three guys on the field at the same time is to play that star package. I think in this particular case, you've got, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of rearranging the deck chairs. I mean, like the the real buried lead here, right? And we've talked about it before is you had, I mean, speaking of injuries, you have what we have talked about since the summer as being a depleted and decimated defensive line, effectively bottoming out injuries-wise at the exact time you're playing the largest and arguably most strong offensive line we're going to play the entire year. Um, we played multiple preferred walk-on defensive linemen for extended minutes in this game. Uh, we didn't have uh, Tayshon Holmes. We didn't have Ryan Johnson. Um, we Jason Gold was out there. Jason though. Gold played a little. We didn't have Jordan Butler. Um, and then, I, I mean, I'm almost forgetting, but I think, like, oh, was it O'Rourke got hurt at some point in this game? McLaughlin, someone got hurt, banged up at some point. I, I, I want to say McLaughlin because he was in there early right. on. And yeah. No, I, I know. I know there were, I mean, like the defensive line, like it's almost right. hard to evaluate the defensive performance right. given how depleted the line was. But I guess I just keep going back like all year, John, you've been talking about our best defensive package is when herds at free safety. We've got Mets on the, you know, in that, in the star position, I guess 
Blake Blake Gallagher is another player that was missing from this game. I guess he had a concussion, so he didn't play at all. Um, Mac Uline got some got some time, but he, like and then got tossed for targeting. Like there's there's a sea of of stuff sure. that happened, and, like decimating our roster. Well, but at the same time, I just I can't I can't help but think like. Well, so we're, it's like we're still just out of our depth. Well, so let me let me say <laughs> let me offer a related point, right? Because at one point, you you know you were checking in because you were watching you were at the game and you were watching different things, and you know we had the benefit of replay. So you checked in and you were like, "So how did how's McAuliffe looking?" And my read prior to him getting ejected was, "He looks aggressive, he looks fast, and he looks light." for the kind of linebacker Pat Fitzgerald wants to be a linebacker. And yeah. I think that answers a lot of questions and you can fold the the other piece of this into like why haven't we seen him early on, right? And like where has he been? But these other things of you know, I'm looking at a guy like that, I'm looking like I'm seeing a lot of potential, but at the same time, you don't have to work hard to sell me on why he hasn't played because it's like Certain pieces are what are required and desired in this system. And if those pieces aren't there, we just keep playing the same system regardless of the pieces that are available. And in that sense, relative to everything that's gone on with the defensive line, yes, we've had a lot of problems with defensive line. We've also had a massive amount of runway to adjust and come up with some other kind of scheme that's going to adjust the personnel or move guys around or try to address this in some way. And our plan defensively is clearly to wait until more Dean Lowry's and Joe Gaziano's and Tyler Lancaster's show (laughs) back up. That's that's clearly the plan. And There's not going to be any adjustment in the interim here. That's where we are right now. And Minnesota is one of the chief teams that we have circled all season, being like, it's coming. They are coming. And it's like, it's funny. We had Doug LaMaurice on. He astutely addressed, and it kind of came up in the game, that Ohio State's been a little snake bit in the second half of their season running the ball. And that kind of manifested a little bit. But Minnesota's... This is their thing, and they've done it all year, and this is what they do, and they just did it. And and right, like on one hand, you had you have those defensive line issues and being like, look, we're our guys are hanging on for dear life out there against a bunch of three hundred twenty pounders, but you also have a bunch of guys standing flat footed in this four two five star that Scuzz is talking about and just waiting for what's coming. And I mean, all things being equal, when you consider that. 10 tackles and 8 solo tackles for Rod Hurd. 10 tackles, 8 solo tackles for Devin Turner. That's fantastic work. And Turner, you're talking about a guy who's, you know, he's, this is a guy who's barely played, right? He's growing out there and really showing some things. So that's, I mean, that's fantastic. But you, you know, at the same time, there was never a question about them moving the ball in this game. And like Scuzz said, you have a guy, quarterback making his first start for Minnesota and there was never a question that they were not going to be able to dictate. And if anything, they took their foot off the gas late and didn't play Ibrahim. And we were even like, why is he still in by the third quarter? Yeah. And, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, just to like put a point, a finer point, I, like, I want to reemphasize two things you said. Like, first of all, the, the your comment around understanding why McLuhan hasn't played. That is a, That is a... That is a, I understand why the coaches, because of the way they think, have decided not to play Mac Uline. 
um, as opposed to I understand why Matt Gulein isn't good enough to play Big Ten football, which is not the case. Um, but the the bigger point, which is a really good one, and we haven't actually we haven't said this on the podcast previously, but like there has been tons of runway. Like one could argue a year worth of runway to think about a different way to deal with the the depletion on the defensive line or or to attack i mean i'm 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 stunned like we have one tackle for loss in this game two two like Cameron Mitchell's credited with a half tackle and Jalen Pate is credited with a half tackle for loss which tells you that against again a freshman QB in his first game uh and and Ethan Kaliakmanis was but, seven of thirteen for sixty-four yards. Like he, he did, he, he did he, play last week too. So, but, was, but this was his, his first, first start. First start. It was yes. His first start. It's cold as hell. It's 20, 28 degrees, and yeah, the field's heated, so it's probably more like thirty-five or forty on the field. But still, like very early on, he he could not locate his receivers accurately, um, and it just it just goes to show like there was there was zero creativity or like call it run blitzing or like just like it was hey we're gonna play base and we're gonna sit back and we're gonna try to limit these guys and it worked for a couple drives and then minnesota turned it on and steamrolled us the rest of the way and it's funny like i forgot that it was somebody asked me at work yesterday or maybe it was today like what the final score was and i was like oh i think it was it was like 20 it was like 24 3 maybe or or Wait a minute. Maybe, maybe maybe it was worse than that. I had to look it up, and sure enough, yeah, it was worse than that. Um, but it just it was like a it was like a thing I just I saw coming all, all day long, and, and and we've seen it all coming all season long, and it just it it still it still stings. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this was a big surprise, you know, us, us losing the way we did, but uh, you know, I no, no no surprise, but just like it's we're. We we are amateurs. We're watching the same thing happen week in and week out, and it's just it's so easy to 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 diagnose it and point and be like, what what are they doing? I mean, like the idea that the opposing coaches haven't got like this really well figured out. It just it just really it's it's salt in the wound. Well, it's just salt in the wound. Well, wound. speaking of salt, before we pivot to the offensive portion of this, which is massive, um, it, kind of a related thing. So. TCU, you know, had their big win against Texas this past weekend. And Johnny Hodges, their linebacker, had a really strong game. And TCU has not been great on defense overall this season, to say the least. Part of that is because their offense is absolutely playing track meet football and just scoring and putting them right back on the field immediately. And TCU is more than happy to play that kind of football because they're awesome at it. But Johnny Hodges had um, a really solid game for TCU. And then after that, in the press conference... Someone asked him because he transferred from Navy and they asked him, well, how'd you wind up at TCU? And he says, well, I contacted a bunch of different schools. The only school I heard back from was Northwestern and they told me I wasn't good enough. And the thing about that is for all we know, that's true. But whether it's true or not, I'm here to tell you if he was here and he was on the field for Northwestern, you wouldn't know because it's like we've got some good players out there. Like, as far as we can tell, like, Xander Miller, Bryce Gallagher, Rod Hurd, like, Grace and Mets, like, these look like pretty good football players who stand flat-footed in this uncreative scheme and wait to get hit. Um, and it's just like, 
you look at Johnny Hodgins, like, well, you at least get to watch TCU's offense and you get to play in a 3-3-5 stack that lets you do things. Um, at least you probably feel like you're moved around and pivoted and, and, and put in some different, you know, and exciting positions that give you a, a better chance to succeed. Because uh, if you were here, you would not be getting those kind of opportunities. But anyway, I mean, again, I did want to highlight. So it was a really rough day for the defensive line. Najee Story at least had six tackles and a solo, though, which, again, for a guy who's been playing kind of out of position for a lot of the season is pretty good. You're talking about a young player. And then, of course, Devin Turner had that monster game with eight solo tackles. Those are guys who are probably going to play for two or three more years at Northwestern. So it is definitely inspiring to see them playing that kind of football. Yeah, you. Can, I, I like, I think it's important to note, like, Minnesota's approach to blocking is, um, I mean, it's, it, like, it, it, it's just let the defensive lineman go in a certain direction and move them out of the way in that direction and let, Ibrahim cut back and find the hole. And um, like, I, I, I think we could have been playing a much more talented, healthy defensive line and the same situation probably would have played itself. I don't think the defensive line would have generated much, much in the way of statistics. Cause you know, I think, you know who it turns out has a damn good running attack who runs the exact same scheme is Duke who we played <laughs> months ago and they did the exact same thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then offensive side, not uh fourth, fourth lowest points per game in the nation. That's where we are right now. Um, and yeah, you know, obviously injuries are a fact. I mean, injuries are a factor on both sides of the ball. I mean, we're absolutely decimated, but still, you know, Nothing was working. It didn't matter who we had under center. Nothing worked. I mean, decimated. I mean, we've lost Thomas Gordon and both of our guards, right? I mean, you could argue we've had Brendan Sullivan this entire time. Up well, until I mean, this point. Su- Sullivan, you know, went out at the end of last game and we didn't know his right. status. And, you know, so he came in, you know, already a little nicked up. Obviously, he got hurt again. Um, you know, couldn't, you know, tried to give it a go after halftime and it didn't work. So, you know, you lose your starting quarterback, you lose your backup quarterback. And at at that point, I mean, the game was already out of hand at that point. So it wasn't like we were, you know, losing anything by having, you know, these really green, uh, really, really green guys playing, but you know, still, I, I will say though, and, and again, credit to Minnesota who, statistically for the second year in a row has a fantastic defense. I know we've made the case many times that this is all about the vacuum chamber football that they play. They certainly look like a good defense on the field against us. And, but I I will say, and and you're right, Sullivan was banged up and he came back in um, and then had to leave again. But it's just so clear when Brendan Sullivan's on the field that he's a good football player. It just is. He just got. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's important. Like he had five drives before he went out, right. and Northwestern scored zero points. Right. And right. I mean, it's so like, I, like, like injuries. Yeah, right. but like, it's just, it's just so clear he's a good football player. So there's, there's a couple pieces to this because one, this is a team that starts Peter Skaronsky, Brendan Sullivan, Evan Hall, and Malik Washington, and his fourth worst. 
out of 131 teams in points per game. And I think we all long since have arrived at what the issue with that is. Um, and no, we didn't run 6 million wildcat plays in this game, but there were some lowlights. I mean, the, the closest we came to scoring a touchdown in this game was a drive where we were working just fine, working out of the shotgun, um, got into deep into Minnesota territory, got eight yards, and then went under center for third and a long two, got stuffed, and then ran the exact same set on fourth and one and got it blown yeah. up to such a degree. I mean, it was ridiculous. Minnesota I mean, just... Hasn't, hasn't that just been a theme oh, over yeah. the last yeah. three years oh, yeah. of moving the ball just fine and then, oh, got got to go heavy because the down and distance calls for it and it... It's and it and it grinds to a halt right. over and over and over again. I think like, a couple of the things I noticed, um a lot of a lot of um it's it's fun. like Halinsky came in and and I think kind of immediately connected with, with Hall in some positive ways, uh passing the ball. Maybe that was in the in the second half after um before he got injured, or maybe I'm maybe I'm inventing this. No, um, I, I I mean he played mostly he played in the second half because you know, Sullivan got hurt late in the first half. Helinski finished off but the first I, I, half, and then Sullivan came back in the first drive, I think, of the second half, and then that was yeah, it. Yeah, but 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 it's the it's the passes to Hall that were standing up to me, and and, sure. and I I did imagine this. I didn't I did not see Helinski did not throw the ball to Hall. Um, he tried a couple times. There was one he floated it over a linebacker on a thor- third and short, and uh, Hull was wide open, and. Um, it did not. Uh, it they they didn't connect. There was just was not enough touch on the pass. Um, but I like Sullivan was was finding Hole a lot, like checking down to him, like over the middle. I, I just I don't I don't understand why we've why we've completely lost um, what was so effective earlier in the year on leveraging Hole out to the edges uh, as a as a receiver. Um, and maybe maybe it's covered. I mean, defenses are certainly keying on him, but. Um, you know, beyond beyond Malik, the it's been it's been very difficult to find uh, a receiver, uh, or beyond Malik and, and and Gordon, I guess I should say, it's been difficult to find a receiver that Sullivan can lean on. And then, um, you know, I, they didn't the offense didn't kill themselves with penalties today, but um, they certainly didn't. You know, they, they didn't cross the goal line either. So yeah, I mean, so there only, only only ten first downs the entire game. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and again, right by the time the injuries happened, then it was all out the window from that point on. But I, you know, one of the things that I mean, so first of all, there was there was one play we highlighted on Twitter where again we didn't run a million wildcats in this one, but thank God. But there was a play where we went wildcat and then basically ran like read option out of the wildcat. And it was like, then why are you taking your quarterback off the field? Like, what are we doing at this point? Did we just run this play to say that we had ran it a time? Because it's like, you're, you're looking at like, it's Brendan Sullivan can do this exact same thing. And he has a bunch of experiments. just just to play devil's advocate on that one play, I mean, it's the first time we've ever seen a handoff out of Wildcat. So 
all all indications are Wildcat comes in, he's just going to run right up the middle. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know, fair. We've, you're, you're, tr- we've, you're, try, you're trying to run a little Sam, bit of trickeration. You're you're absolutely right. We've we've set that one up with 50 consecutive dives into the line, so it ought to <laughs> it ought to be there. Um, I think one of the things though that in general, I don't so. I think the thing that maybe bothers me the most is just how obvious it is that Brendan Sullivan has it, has that thing. And we've talked about this before. We talked about it last season, the notion of a gamer and how there absolutely are gamers and how this idea, it's almost like, and then there have been these talks of like, oh, well, you know, we've been like letting Sullivan get his legs under him and everything. And it's like, what are we, no, what are you talking about? This guy's been locked and loaded from the second he stepped on the field. And it almost it's almost like that there's this house of cards built on that he wasn't ready. So that helps explain why he didn't play for the entire year up until a few games ago. And that now we have to like reinforce that. And it's like, no, clearly the guy's been ready to rock and roll for a while. And now he's out there making it happen. And it only reinforces that, A, unleash him. And second, he should have been in this a long time ago. So, again, it's, you know, to an extent we're beating a dead horse here. And I know this dovetails with the press conference that we're going to talk about in a second. But we all know what the issues are at this point. We know that Northwestern needs new approaches at coaching and needs new new coaches to come in and new coordinators to come in and, and deliver those ideas. And if we're going to get the most out of the young talent that we clearly have on this team, like that's what we're going to need. So, I, I mean, is there anything else to talk about from this game? Um, you know, Scuzz, can you talk a little bit about the atmosphere? Uh, obviously, it was cold, but, you know, how was the game experience being in there? Uh, surprisingly few Northwestern fans, like way fewer than uh, I've seen in, in past years. Um, our buddy Zach was there. It was great to hang out with him a little bit. Uh, got to talk to, uh, to Evan Hall's dad a little bit, which was, re- which was really awesome, too. Um. The, you know, the Gopher fans were, uh, it's funny, they were not very confident. Um, and it's not like, there's not a lot of places you go where as an opposing fan, you get thanked for attending. Like, got a number of, oh, thanks for traveling up here. And oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Kind of, kind of comments, um, which is just, you know, the, the Minnesota nice, right? But um, I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, go easy on us. And, oh, man, we're worried about Pat Fitzgerald. I was like, you haven't been watching this year, have you? (laughs) (laughs) Repeat variations on a theme. This is how the rest of the nation thinks. Right. So so it was interesting. Uh, Like, I think it became pretty clear pretty quickly that, that, you know, they were going to be in good shape. Um, And so it was just, you know, it was a. the stadium really wasn't very full. I mean, it, like it was, I don't know, it was what, 28 degrees or something. So it wasn't a horrible day, but I guess maybe with the, the losses Minnesota's had to date with maybe the injury to Tanner Morgan, um, there's just not as much excitement around the Gophers, e- even though they do have an outside shot at winning the division still. Um, I think it was, uh, I guess, a, you know, a little bit more subdued maybe, but, um, uh, but yeah, it was good. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I, I couldn't help noticing, um, the band was having like the time of their lives. They were just having an absolute ball. The in stadium, they do a really great job of keeping a camera on the band. Um, I it 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 as a former numb member, it made me 
harking back to some of the uh, some of the the good old days where um, I think Num maybe had a little bit more uh, a little bit more juice um, than they're allowed to do today. But that's another that's that's for another conversation. Yeah. Um, but it was you know it was fun. It was good. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I have nothing bad to say about going to Minnesota. It's a great place <clears> to catch a game. Just just cold as hell. There was there was one other thing I wanted to add about the game before we get out, and that's specifically about Ryan Holinsky. <clears throat> so, you know, Ryan Holinsky, poor Ryan Holinsky, right? I mean, he, he comes in, has a rough game, and then has this horrible injury, and that ends his day. And, and again, we don't know the situation, but it looked pretty bad. And Pat Fitzgerald went over and was talking to him when he was on the cart. And the attitude of Ryan Holinsky in that moment, tells you everything you need to know about Ryan Holinsky. You could just see he's maintaining the best spirits that he possibly can. You can tell from what he's projecting that he is just doing his absolute best to stay positive in an absolutely horrible situation. And that's been the way he's been all season. That is just a guy who is just Mr. Attitude, always presenting the right attitude, always presenting the right, thinking the right way, conducting himself the right way. So, again, really rough, horrible thing to see for him. But, again, the kid is just class, and he was class in that moment, and I wanted to address it. And and here's hoping, like, it, it's not as bad as it looked. Um, but, you know, obviously we don't know anything, and we're probably not going to know anything until at least after the season, if at all. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. And that kind of takes us to, uh, you know, out of the game, um, going into the weekly press conference uh, that, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So uh, Monday was the uh, the weekly press conference leading up to Purdue. And, you know, before, you know, the press conference started, we started hearing buzz that, there were going to be no players at the press conference for the first time, like ever. And I, I, I know all of us sort of just kind of perked up like, um, okay. What interesting. Um, we weren't, weren't sure, quite sure what it meant. And, you know, what did it portend something a little bit more drastic or some you know, big news to be coming? No, it wasn't. It was, you know, everyone had class and midterms and, and whatnot. So it, <laughs> yeah. So a lot, a lot of work up about nothing. However, um, I, I think for the first time, uh, Fitz actually came out and pretty much said, "Yeah, we're going to need to make some changes." Well, I mean, he didn't. He didn't he, like straight up say he that. Walked, but he walked up to it, right? So closer than he has all season. Certainly. Um, credit to Louis Vacare for posing the question and um, getting at him. And I also wanted to say, too, because I was thinking about this afterwards, Fitz, Fitz's response to the question was very good and, and very classy. And 
it's worth noting because there are other coaches we've talked about out in the nation, right, who um, pair being stubborn and being resistant to change with just conducting themselves poorly in terms of just as human beings. And that is in no way Pat Fitzgerald. Pat Fitzgerald is a stubborn guy and he is resistant to change. And we have been up and down this mountain a million times, but he's a class individual and he handled the question really well. And he was honest. He was forthcoming. And he even made a couple good points about look like, We've got seniors. I mean, the, the subtext there being like, look, there's some seniors who've battled with this team forever, and they've been through some absolutely miserable years. They've got two big games left, including a rivalry game. And, you know, we're trying to carry these guys to the finish line, right, and and focus on that piece of it, which is absolutely true. Um, but, and, and at the same time, he addressed, look, we're horrible across the board, right? And we're looking at everything and everyone after this season, and then he thanked Louie for asking the question, said, thank you for asking. It was a good question. So it was, I appreciated it. And I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad Louie asked it and Fitz answered it and answered it well. But yeah, that's the the news that everyone took away is, is yes, finally some acknowledgement that there need to, and hopefully will be changes. Yeah. And I guess I, I'm, I agree with all, everything you're saying there. I feel like earlier in the year, and maybe he wasn't asked that question as directly earlier in the year, but I feel like earlier in the year when even even the prospect of, you know, well, how do you think how do you think John O'Neill's doing, uh, Jim O'Neill's doing? Um, Hopefully, you're we're, like, you're not going to need to worry about making that mistake much longer. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's a it's tradition J, at this point. <laughs> it's the J O N abbreviation on Twitter. Like he's, oh. he's just baked into my brain i will never correct you i've long since i i (laughs) anyways um but like as as like questions have been asked about about you know are you happy with jim o'neill's performance you happy with the defense yada yada and he and he bristles sure and the question behind the question is like are you really going to bring this bozo back for one more year and maybe nobody has actually asked like are you contemplating coaching changes in week six? Um, I think that'd be a good question to ask, frankly, uh, <laughs> to, to, to the conversation with Doug a few weeks ago. Um, but I, I do think Fitz has, has bristled. And I, and I get like, I, I tweeted this, um, that I like, there's, there's no obligation for Fitz to cater to the fan base. There's no obligation for any college football coach to cater to the fan base. They don't need to say, Oh yeah. Like we're not going to make, we're not going to make changes in season. We're going to, we're going to wait till the end and make changes then. Like that's not a statement that they are required to make. Um, and it is a hundred percent like somewhat lip service and somewhat just, you know, like whatever. But I, a, I think it's important to get coaches on the record to say that for like, that's what journalism is there for. But in not saying that in, in choosing to not say that and, and in, and in choosing to take more of a, like, batten down the hatches we're gonna weather this storm the buck stops with me if you're disappointed bring it to me like don't talk to me about the coordinators i don't want to talk about changes to the coaching staff yeah like i refuse to fire anybody in season like that that's the mentality that we've had for nine weeks right sure and and in past seasons it was it was the mentality in 2019 with regard to to mccall as well that attitude 
while again, perfectly acceptable for a college football coach to do that. I think we had, you know, somebody on Twitter was saying like, what, what else is he get? What else do you want him to say? Like, well, I, I want him to say what he said finally right. that, yeah, I, we'll, we'll evaluate this at the end of the year. It's not going well. We need to evaluate it and we'll evaluate if we should be make, making changes. If you had said that in the bye week, right. your fan base would not be ready to jump off a cliff right now. And that's the point is that is not that Fitz owes the fans that kind of honesty. It's that if you want an engaged, supportive, vibing fan base that's going to come out and support your plan for an $800 million stadium or show up to support you in a rivalry game against Illinois when you're 1 in 10, you need to be effing honest with us so we don't feel like you're just kicking us in the teeth every week. Right. And you I mean and it goes back to like where I mean he was asked, I mean the fan base so quickly diagnosed within what three or four weeks exactly what the problems were that have only just continued to exist the whole rest of the season, right? And in those moments there was like what are we doing to right the ship and Fitz was like what sh- like what ship? We don't need to write any ship. Like things are yeah. just fine. Yeah. And it's like nope, it was the house was burning then and it's burning now and nothing has changed. Right. So, no, you're right. And I think, you know, probably part of him maybe crossed a point where he was like, OK, I'm going to answer this question this time. And then when he did it, he did it with class. But you're right. He could have yeah. done it early. And you're right. He's requ- and, and right to the outside people saying that he's not required to do anything. You're right. But you've got. Right, you've got a fan base that's really suffering right now and could use a little bit of everything. And, and to Scuzz's point, doesn't cost much to say what he said, uh, you know, in this week's press conference a couple of weeks ago, right? And um, so, but, but you know, this was at least a piece of what everyone's been waiting for. And, and regardless, and this is what some of the people pointed out on Twitter, like, the proof is either in the pudding or it's not. And, you know, yep. if it's not at the end of the season, then the rest of this is just lip service and, and we're going to, you know, we're, we're not going to be happy with any of it. So, right. Regardless. I, I, I think, right. I think a lot of the angst from the fan base could have been alleviated by just coming out and say, like, you're not going to make any changes during the season. Fine. Say that. Say, Hey, you know what? We're not, we're not making any changes in the middle of the season. We'll address, like if things need to be addressed, we'll address them. You can just yeah, just just, just say just it. say that like that's not throing anyone under the bus. That's not like ho- hovering a, a death scythe over Jim O'Neill's neck or anything. It's like hey, we don't fire coaches in the middle of the season. You know, we got everyone here. We're going to get through the season, and then we'll figure it out. Just don't just don't give me the the the. There's no the ship doesn't need writing bullshit. That's just incorrect, and it pisses me off. Because it because you're treating me like a child, and if that's the relationship you want to have with your fan base, that's fine. I'll go take my entertainment dollars somewhere else. Right, and that's and again, it goes back to all the things we've talked about with tickets and season tickets and and the new stadium and everything you need to be drumming up and and also having awareness of just how bad the last two years have been because it's so bad and. There's going to be plenty of time to put a lot of this in historical context, you know, a couple of weeks from now. But there, you know, these depths have, I mean, there are a lot of people who've been like, yeah, but that whole stretch. No, no, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks. But Northwestern's in depths that are as deep as some of the deepest right now. And those special situations call for special action. So I, I agree. I mean, again, I think he answered the question in the moment well. He could have done it just as well. 
earlier on um and it would have put put us in in a better better situation but again it you know the question and the fact that that's all anyone's fixated on is at this point everyone's eyeballs are already firmly to the day after the last game of the season and you know we are counting the counting the days as we get closer to that point yeah so i mean i i mean we're the only thing else thing i could say was just you know talking circles i think we've said everything on our minds as, as far as that goes um do we want to talk about i mean we got Purdue this weekend. Um, Purdue uh, coming off of a, a surprising, I, I shouldn't say surprising, but um, surprising to me and and maybe maybe less likely if Chase Brown hadn't gotten injured. But um, they beat Illinois on the road at home. They're in the driver's seat for the West now. Well, that's, a, that's what's interesting. Nobody controls their own destiny. In the West. Oh, do they? Because, yeah, that's true. Because Iowa um, has a tiebreaker over them, don't yeah. they? Like, it, it, no, like, I, I was, I was looking at that. <laughs> Big Ten no, West for the win. Nobody <laughs> controls their own destiny, which is, which is crazy. And, like, I haven't gone through all, all the, all the math and all the, you know, combinations, but, like, how is that, like, how is that possible that no one can, can just win out and win it? It is, it is so strange. Um, and it's, it's so up in the air. And, and again, Illinois, there is that argument that I think people are, are trying to paint <clears throat> that Illinois gave this away. And granted, it was theirs to lose. I watched almost all of the Purdue-Illinois game, and those are just two good football teams, both of them. They are both just good. Play good offense, play good defense. They each have the, some weaknesses. But they're overall good football teams. That game was marred by the fact that it was super chippy. And then they kept drumming at home like Purdue and Illinois are like huge rivals. And it's like they play for a trophy. That doesn't mean they're like gigantic rivals. But Wait, do they play for a trophy? I think they do. I don't think so. I don't know. They kept talking. I mean, they're... Their their campuses they're, are like two right, hours. They're apart, close so. campuses, but it's like you don't hear a lot about yeah, I, the I, big Illinois Purdue rivalry. It was mainly just that it was chippy at the it, start. It was it was the announcers and were the, just like, oh, big rivalry, right. big rivalry. And the refs just didn't get on it. So the game got way out of hand. And there were all of these brawls and everything. But aside from that, it was two good football teams. They just both of them can do a bunch of stuff. And for Purdue's part of it. Good defense, man. I, I think back to the calls in the summer. I think one of my bad calls was underestimating Purdue's defense. It's very solid. They're not unbelievable, but they're quite good. And they had a lot of success against Illinois. And again, against Chase Brown went out eventually, but he was on the field for a long time, and they did a pretty strong job against him. And offensively, they have a mix of they have that – I'm blanking on their running back's name, but he's a big back – and they throw him into the line a lot. And then you've got O'Connell, who's just O'Connell. I mean, you know what it is. You've seen him for a million years. You know what he delivers out there. He has his ups, he has his downs, but he's a very capable quarterback. And, I mean, I just look at it as, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, at the end of the day, seemingly a lot of parity here in the West. But Purdue and Illinois are both good football teams. And they looked good playing against each other. Um, and... They very. I mean, there's a really good chance they are the two best teams in the West. 
Um, my, my bad. They they do have a trophy. It's the Purdue Cannon. So just to set that straight. Great. <laughs> but again, the fact that none of us knew. But uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I you know be, beyond that, I there I, I wouldn't get my hopes up too much. And the other part of it too that that to the point we talked about earlier. Purdue and Illinois are both scrambling right now. They both, you know, it's still there for both of them. Like you said, everyone needs help, but if both of those teams were to win out, they are both, you know, they'd both have a shot at it. Well, you, you, John, you mentioned, um, and specific for our game, you mentioned uh, their running back. So Devin, Devin yeah, Mockaby has, has gotten the majority of the carry, carries since uh, early October because um, King Daru got, got injured. Um, and Maccabee has been has been quite like much better than than Drew was previously. He's been really really good. He, he ran for 178 against Nebraska, a uh, hundred against Wisconsin, averaging 4.7 yards per per attempt. That's in a game that that Purdue got thumped pretty good by Wisconsin. Um, averaged 4.6 per carry against Iowa. Again, that's like a, a team. You know they got they got thumped by Iowa, but they were able to run the ball against a really good run D, and then and then put up a hundred on the ground against Illinois against another really good run D. So, um, Northwest like, like I think, I think yeah. going into this, yeah, going into this season, I think we were looking at this Purdue game as like, oh, well, we you know our secondary is our strength, we match up all right there, you know maybe um, may, maybe Adewari can can get loose and and cause O'Connell some problems. Um, I don't think Purdue has an amazing offensive line, but they certainly have a running game. They're going to attack us, and and they're going to be able to probably move the ball. Um, I'm not going to say at will, but with uh, with with regularity. Yeah, we're giving up 200 yards a game on the ground. The only team, I think, the only team in the Big Ten doing it. That's why we're 14th, one of the select few teams in the country giving up 200 yards, and we gave up 300 yards last week. So. It is what it is. Purdue, if Mock, if they want to run with Mockaby, they'll be able to. Uh, Purdue is a twenty-point favorite. Um, the over/under is forty-seven and a half. So you're just not expecting many points from our side, at least. Yeah, and I mean, as as we'll see what our quarterback situation is, but I mean, honestly, like it's. It, Halinski may be done for the year and Sullivan may be in a gray area situation. And, you know, we said it before, if there's a gray area situation, Carl Richardson, it is, there's no need to, there's no need to drag this out. Um, let's just, you know, we're just trying to get through these at this point. Should we uh, take a quick look at the rest of the uh, conference games this weekend? Um, Illinois is at Michigan. So that. That'll be interesting. I mean, Michigan's an 18-point favorite. Um, low over-under, only 42, but uh, I would expect quite a bit of running the ball uh, with Illinois and Michigan. Brown and Corum. Right, so I want to bring this up because Scuzz highlighted this a while ago. There's no doubt Illinois has got a great defense. They've got a great defense. They've got a great defensive coordinator. We've talked about this many times. Scuzz did highlight, though, that they played an absolute shit show of offenses through the first like seven or seven or eight weeks of the season. And as the offenses have ticked up a little in recent weeks, their productivity's ticked down a little. Well, now they're going to play an awesome offense in Michigan. So we're going to see, 
um, you know, I, I, you know, I'd like to see Illinois kind of show out in this game and keep it a little bit closer. But if that, uh, if Michigan just absolutely eviscerates them offensively, it's going to take a lot of the bloom off the rose for that defense. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm expecting exactly that. I mean, the other thing is that I think Illinois has shown as, as they played some of these tougher, tougher teams, um, They've shown themselves to be pretty one-dimensional. I mean, DeVito's just not a phenomenal quarterback. Um, he can, you know, he can do some stuff, but like I, my my thought during a lot of that Purdue game was, oh yikes, Illinois is trying to trying to win from behind. That's not going to work well for them. And uh, yeah, it doesn't. So like all, all it's going to take is for Michigan to get a, a couple couple TDs, and that's really going to hamper uh, Illinois. Um, ability in that game uh 11 o'clock on espn wisconsin at nebraska uh wisconsin a 13 point favorite uh over under is 39 and a half yeah i think at this point nebraska's down to like their third string qb and they've got you know other problems around around the paddock as uh, as it were and uh yeah i expect wisconsin to 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 be able to beat them pretty handily uh, 11 o'clock on Big Ten Network, Indiana at Michigan State. Uh, Sparty, a 10.5-point favorite. Yeah, Sparty seems to be finding their, their way. I mean, this, this is a team that we um, – I mean, they basically went back to the portal, totally reloaded across both sides, and unlike in 2021, um, it just – all that new talent just didn't come together, didn't gel, but they're starting to find it a little bit here down the stretch. So um, whereas Indiana is as, – as, kind of run into a buzzsaw and <laughs> that they're just not very yeah. good. I mean, Michigan state now, again, there was a lot, there was the, the whole incident after the Michigan game kind of marred things and marred and marred, yes, truth, marred truth, the Mel Tucker truth. piece of this a little bit. Um, so that consider that a big asterisk on this, but um, Scuzz talked earlier in the year when Michigan state was at their lowest, you know, in terms of on-field production, Mel Tucker stepped up and he, in very blunt terms, put it on him and put it on what he had to do to get better. And I think about things like that as Michigan State is now pretty squarely looking at a bowl game um, and, you know, a really strong finish down the stretch here. So, um, again, they were really rough, but I would say that, you know, Mel Tucker in the long run may get some credit for the way he kind of pulled his team through this. 2.30 2.30 on ABC, Ohio State at Maryland. Um, Ohio State, a 27.5-point favorite. What happened to Talia? What? I don't... I I, yep. I mean, he, now granted, was hurt and then came back. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's just not right since he's come back. But, boy, I mean, this was an absolute explosive offense right up until he got hurt. And since then, they... I mean, they they rolled us, but since then, ten points in two games. Um, I mean, yikes! I mean, he 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 was eleven of twenty two for seventy four yards against Penn State yeah. last week, and where they got where they got shut out. I mean, it's a good it's a good team. We've right? talked about two. No one's better at beating up on bad teams than Penn State. It is their corner this season. <laughs> um, if their if your line, if your defensive line is below a certain threshold, where they can bring their mediocre offensive line to bear, they will throttle you, and that's what they did in this game. 
Uh, so what do you make of uh, Rutgers's defensive line? Because um, that's who Penn State is playing this weekend in uh, Piscataway. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say uh, Nate Singleton, uh, Nick Singleton. Uh, I'd, I'd pencil in a big day for that young man. And then uh, finally, Iowa at Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, three-point favorite. Over under right now, 32 and a half. It's it, people... People have been trying Oof. to say that Iowa is, Iowa's offense is waking up because they're they're scoring, they're scoring points now, and it's like they're is it though? It's pretty much like their their defense is is getting stuff done. I mean they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's interrogate this Wisconsin yeah. game. Let's interrogate this Wisconsin game because uh, Iowa's first touchdown was a two play drive for seventeen yards off of a blocked punt. Then they got an interception touchdown. And then in the second half, they had a five-play, 18-yard score off of um, a an awesome punt return. And then they kicked a field goal off of an 11-play, 27-yard drive. So by my count, that's 11 plays, scored. 27 yards? Yes. Oh my God. So, so, so by my count, um, I mean, if you, if you're going on like by field position and I don't know, like 80% of their scoring was due to the, off, due to the defense. I mean, you had 51.1 is the combined QBR of Graham Mertz and Spencer Petrus in this game. So it was, uh, I had 52 rush yards, 94 pass yards and they won by four to- total yards. Yeah. Total yards for Iowa, 146, and they won 24 to 10 with 146 yards of offense. I mean, again, anyone, anytime someone tries to tell you this isn't the best defense in the country, they like, I don't know what to tell you. There's no yeah. defense doing more than a, Iowa's. A, a pick six, a 41 yard uh, punt return, a, a punt block. I mean, this is not Iowa's offense. Right. Iowa's offense did shit. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, like they, they only they only scored when they started right. in the freaking red zone. But I mean, the over in this game, like <laughs> like if it's not, I mean, it's not Tanner Morgan. I mean, Calic Manis can do nothing against this defense. They will feast on him. Minnesota should not throw a single pass from that guy in this game. And if that doesn't happen, then yeah, I don't know how either of these teams moves the ball. So that, I I. I'll be honest, watching Kaliak Manas uh, against us, um, it was pretty clear to me that they were playing him out of necessity. Not, because right. um, like it was, it was funny. There was actually a guy like 10 rows in front of me wearing a Kaliak Manas jersey. <laughs> and, and some, some, and he moved up near us and, and his buddies were giving some, him grief. He was like, whatever man investing in the future, like I'm ready to go. And my dad even said like, yeah, most gopher fans want Kali Akmanis well, to play. Like, really? he, was he was a big recruit. Really? He was a big recruit. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a big recruit, but, but they're like, yeah, who cares if we, you know, we play in a good bowl or a bad bowl this year. Like, let's just like, you know, get good for next year. And I'm like, but you have Mo. Ibrahim and he's going to be. I just gone think it's disrespectful and... to Tanner Morgan's ten years of service too. To... Yeah, <laughs> right. So thank you I for just... taking that joke, John, and not making me making me. Take it. <laughs> I mean, like I like if 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 I don't know what Morgan's situation is or what his injury is, um, 
I, I, I would feel a lot better about Minnesota's chances in this game if he could, if he could play. And, and actually, I think they'd have a pretty darn good shot. Because to your point earlier, John, their D's decent. Um, I think they should be able to run on Iowa. And like, as long as they don't make catastrophic turnovers, yeah, I don't know how def- Iowa well, scores. There's definitely a a Tanner Morgan is hurt and Spencer Petrus isn't joke in here. So we're I. I don't know how either of these teams is is getting any points. Yeah, that that is a a low over under, and I still would take the under. Uh, just kind of quickly scanning through the, the rest of the schedule this weekend, not a lot of like matchups with a lot on the bone, um, except for USC UCLA. Uh, that could be a fun one. That one's at the Rose Bowl, um, and then Utah Oregon, number ten Utah, number twelve Oregon. Uh, and that one's in Eugene. So the only two games m- matching top 25 teams are uh, both from the Pac-12, which is cannibalized itself. Well, again. we say cannibalized itself, and yet I think they have six ranked teams right now. Um, the Big Ten has three. So talk about cannibalized yourself. <laughs> like the Big Ten West has been doing uh, quite a good job of that. But yeah, I know. It's funny. It's like the poor Pac-12, like they're always eternally trying to get people to care about their football games. I mean, I think USC, you know, the the Pac-12's best possible hope is for USC to to put it on UCLA and actually potentially maybe get into the playoff conversation. But USC would have to look really impressive. And they would need, like, Tennessee to lose and either Michigan or Ohio State to just absolutely obliterate yeah. the other. Yeah, so doubtful. Uh, anything else to touch on before we uh, put a bow on this one? Can we see Kentucky, def- like Georgia, lose at Kentucky and then Vanderbilt would have a transitive win over Georgia? That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't hold I my breath. So. Georgia is, has shown no evidence that they are not by far the best team in the country. One One thing that I would be just totally bemused by is if uh, – UMass goes into Kyle Field and beats Texas A&M. Oh man, that's that would be uh, that would be something. It would be it would indeed be something. That would really that would really knock Northwestern down a peg. Uh, in that we're already kind of like considered bottom of the uh, bottom of the pack or bottom of the of the Power Five. Well, um, I spend every week praying that Colorado isn't going to win because they're keeping us out of the FPI power five basement right now and and <laughs> sam let's be honest they've shown absolutely no threat to win in, in any way shape or form um and no and it's a little no. bit of perspective uh, just we we follow them through sam and as as bad as northwestern is colorado's a whole level of magnitude worse they are by far the worst power five team in the country we're not catching them well we're not catching them for a couple more years, you know, we do have the the home and home with Colorado coming up. I think in uh, twenty six and twenty seven. I was going to say, don't don't oh think boy, I haven't circled that your, on my calendar. Buy your tickets now. <laughs> I will because Folsom Field is a fun place to to go to a game, and you best believe if I have the ability to go to that game. And by I that will. point, may we all, may may both teams be in a far far better situation, Pat. 
Pat Fitzgerald oh, God, and two God willing, yeah. coordinators coaching a great Cats football against Ryan Walters, Colorado Buffaloes. That's <laughs> both teams are really good. Let's let's just make all that happen. All right. Anything else to mention before we uh, get out of here tonight? Go field hockey. Um, to, remember, uh, ESPN yeah. Plus, 2 p.m. on Friday. Um, mark your calendars. If you get ESPN Plus, um, it's that is going to be, a again, a massive rubber match between two phenomenal teams. I'm gonna going to dance one more time. And then Friday evening, uh, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if, if there is TV or not, but um, uh, Northwestern soccer, women's soccer, six p.m. Central against yeah, Vanderbilt. Let's get it. Ra- round of thirty-two, and yes, there are sixty-four teams in the NCAA soccer tournament, which is kind of wild. Wow. And uh, cross country, let's uh, you know, championship uh, tournament this weekend as well. So. Uh, definitely some opportunities to see some uh, see some gold happening for uh, for the cats and all all these. Yeah, programs. let's get so. it. I mean, again, it's like we. I mean, best of, best of luck to football. We're always rooting for football. I think we're you know we kind of know where things are right now. So I mean, really devote some effort this weekend to rooting on these teams. Yes, these are the non revenue sports, but these are awesome teams having awesome seasons. Um, and in the case of field hockey, a chance at a, a little dynasty here. So. Let's root them on. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Slot O'Brien Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.